I'm Raven Roll, and this is a Phoenix in Phoenix. Last time we talked about Elaine's attack by the Biltmore Rapist, how she healed from that, and having to defend herself from that same man again. After fully healing from attempted murder, she finally got a taste of peace. It wasn't until about 20 years later when effects of the Biltmore Rapist crept up on Elaine once again. She noticed some changes about herself, but figured her body was just adjusting to her age as she got a bit older. If it weren't for that selfish, heartless man, Elaine wouldn't have received blood containing hepatitis C back in 1984. During that 20-year time period, the virus was slowly taking over her body. Well, what was great about that is that no one knew at that time. And they just started, you know, then they just started testing blood the next year like it was no big deal and like they weren't going to catch all these things. They had to have known that they were going to. So my mom didn't know for years, 20 years, not a hint. She just went on with her life and she ran these businesses and went out there and did it and there was nothing. Um, I do believe when you go too far because it affects your organs, then a really big issue with hep C is that you have a depletion of oxygen to your brain. And when that happens year after year, it starts to have an Alzheimer's effect where, and that's where it starts to go downhill. Um, Neurologically, it's, the first signs aren't bad. Had we caught it earlier, we would have made sure she didn't go to the county because county is where you get all the blood that wasn't tested, and it's the worst place you can go for a transfusion. You never want your loved one to go to county, but being that we weren't there, it was the closest hospital. She had no more blood left. They were trying to save her life. She had to go to the closest one. Had she not gone to county, her chances of contracting hep C would have been a lot, lot less because they actually started testing in 1985. My mom got her full blood transfusion from being stabbed so close to her juggler and the blood that leaked out, she had to have full amount of blood. So they took all the blood they could get from the bank. By the time we got there, we were only able to just give a little bit. Otherwise, we got there sooner. We could have given all of our family blood to her. But if our blood had been tainted, it wouldn't have been known either. So it's a harsh situation either either way you go. I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but it's just like crazy to me to think that it wasn't tested and I guess they just didn't have that like technology yet yeah the saddest thing because at least hundreds and thousands of lives being lost I'm talking hundreds and thousands like half a million lots of people have died from hep C before there was a cure and a vaccination the person who the inventor of the cure kept it back for many years and you weren't able to even Uh, get the vaccination unless you had cash and you were going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. You couldn't get it through insurance. Um, And so a lot of vets lost their lives. When Elaine's health started to decline, her grandson knew she needed him, her best friend. 
So he came to the rescue. My name is Royce Woolridge. Um, I am Elaine's grandson. I'm uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a basketball player. I played basketball um, in college. I played basketball overseas. Um, since then, um, I've come back home and I started my own nonprofit for um, kids in the community. Um, we have like a sixth and seventh grade basketball team. Um, we do two free camps a month for the kids. We do community service um, and just kind of trying to build that up for the kids out here. I also coach. Um, I coach at Westwood High School. Um, I used to coach freshmen and JV at uh, Sunny Slope. Um, in addition to that, I like to make music. I know how to produce music. So um, I have a lot going on, but that's just a, a little bit about uh, who I am. Um, and then when it comes to, to my grandma, um, she's just always been um, a big influence on me to just always be the best that I can be. Um, and one thing that um, she really has helped me with is music. Um, she's the one that introduced me to music. I remember when I was younger, she used to take me to like these little, uh, I don't know if it was like a bongo classes or whatever, and I had to sit there and learn how to play the bongo. And she used to set me up for um, for piano lessons. I used to take piano lessons, even though I wish I took them a lot more seriously. Um, but she was always really into music and always uh, pushed me to do music. So um, that plays a major role in why I make music now and I strive to learn how to produce music and, um, and do all that stuff is all because of my grandma. Um, Cause she, you know, started that and showed me like jazz music and showed me, you know, blues music, all types of music. So if it wasn't for her, um, the music aspect of everything that I do wouldn't even exist. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then another thing that's important about my grandma, I think people should know is uh, she was really stylish. Um, she had a lot of swag. And so um, I dress a little differently, I guess. I don't really dress like everybody else. And that all comes from my grandma. She's always like, you know, you want to be, you know, stylish. You want to be the best dressed in the room. You know, how you look always is important, you know. Um, and so I always took that to heart. And so I knew style and, and music are two things that are huge in my life. And um, I give that all to my grandma because without her, you know, I wouldn't be swaggy and I wouldn't be making bangers. So I appreciate it for that. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't realize that that's where your inspiration came from. Um, I just want to interject one thing. It's so funny that he would say that about jazz because when I was nine months pregnant with Royce, things were going, you know, so so. And my mom said, oh, girl, stop that. Get to smile and we're going to go to New York. And we went to New York and I was big as a house and we went to go see this jazz band and we sat right next to the stage and the whole time Royce was drumming on my stomach. And my mom's like, this is good for his culture right away. We're going to get him right away to be like in jazz because she wanted a boy. She just couldn't wait. So she had all these things that she wanted for him. And one of them was music. Even before he was born, she had him listening to jazz in the front row in New York at one of the shows. So. Royce is a very talented musician. Like he was saying, his grandma has played a huge role in how he creates his music. His stage name is Young Dad. Some of my favorites include Dad Hat, Move and Shake, and Fit Drip. Now back to the story. Hopefully now you have a better idea of why it was so important to Royce to take care of Elaine.
And you know, Royce came back both times and sacrificed his career. He was at Washington State when her first transplant came. And she was so close to death and Royce loved his grandma so much. And you know he wanted to go to the NBA and Washington State was very important. And he gave up that dream at that point and came home to be with my mom. And then he resurrected his career and went with um, Dan Marley at GCU and was able to go abroad and play for years, for five years, professionally. But he came back early and cut his career off there because my mom started to get bad again. And I lived with her and she would never listen to me. And he could always get to her and she always listened to him. So I needed him to help me and there was no one else. So he cut his career short again in his dreams and he came home and he moved in with me and her and lived with us for two years to help and forewent his whole dream. And he helped me take care of her. And as a young man who's 24, he went in the morning and would clean up diarrhea, vomit, hold her. I would go in the afternoon. I couldn't take it. He would go in the evening. Our lives were very harsh for years. I got PTSD over it. My health declined a lot. took me to Dr. Barrow, who's the number one leading hep C doctor uh, in Phoenix. And we would go to his seminars because at that time, nothing was known about it. And we really had to dig deep. So we would always go to these seminars that he would put on and the prognosis looked bad for my mom. And I kept saying, well, we're gonna go to other states. Don't worry, we'll figure this out. And it was depressing because very few people made the list, let alone lived. And nobody could afford, and at that time, the cure wasn't even available because he didn't quite have it down. And he was only giving it to the highest, most elite people around the world. And it wasn't available to the basic patient, especially through any kind of insurance. My mom just slipped in um, at the very beginning of it starting when she was almost like dead. So the hit and miss for so many, it didn't happen and they lost their lives. I think about that a lot when I think about my mom's hep C, that there were hundreds of thousands of people who didn't live. And because my mom had her own money and was able to match it, I think she paid 50,000 and insurance paid 25. And then she came back with another 25, but she was able to afford it. Or the people who couldn't, they just died. Straight up, it's about money. As Elaine's health continued to decline right in front of Victoria's eyes, she became desperate. She would do anything for her mom. I, there is a situation where if you have two kidneys, you can take a kidney from a relative that has the same blood type and the same body size for the cavity. So if my mom needed a kidney, I could give her a kidney, right? But if you need a liver, it got so bad that I went to her doctor and volunteered to 
do a liver transplant in this sense. You have a third of your liver cut out and then I have it given to my mom. They put it in and then it stays in her and it grows, right? And they close me up and I heal. That way then she has a better chance and her her life chance had come down to just days that I was willing to do that. But you have to be prepped and the bottom line is my mom refused because it cuts off my lifespan by a third. Okay. And my mom didn't want me to sacrifice that. The choices that you have when it comes to liver get real difficult because then you're kind of like almost treating God. You're taking from someone else's life to, you know what I'm saying? Instead of just accepting what it truly should be. And my mom was like, nope, I'm good. But she did get 11 great years out of the, uh, out of the liver. And, um, even though she wasn't like she was before, she still had quality of life until probably the last two years. The information was so complicated about male counts and red blood cell counts and white cell counts. I had to study it. I felt like a doctor after one year. And then after years of searching for um, a donor, I felt like I could have been um, a mad scientist. I knew so much about which hospitals you were more likely to get picked up in, what melt count you had to be in. Like you almost literally had to be brain dead to get it. It was so scary and so intense that it made me have a new respect for medicine, but also realized that life is fleeting and it can go like that. Organs don't stay going. I think when you're young, you think you don't think about how your insides are working and that all that can get real tired real quick and you have to stay on it. We had been on list in five different states that I was able to get my mother on trying to save her life. Epstein is a very vicious, vicious disease and it it's very debilitating and it, it takes everything from you and your life. So it's much more serious than people believe and it doesn't show signs for many years. So you don't think you're sick and then slowly it starts to, to creep in and, and cause organ failure, kidney and liver. You can get a liver transplant once, but not twice. My mom wasn't really a good candidate for a liver transplant because she was so old, but because in her, in the um, Irish sitting up in her how can I put this in her cultural makeup on her mom and dad's side they all lived to be in their hundreds my great grandma was 104 my grandpa was 100 my grand my regular grandma was 99 my grandpa was 98 or 100 so they felt that she was still a candidate in her 70s to get a transplant which never usually happens and she was My mom was on her deathbed and she got a liver transplant from a wonderful policeman in Phoenix who lost his life and donated all of his organs. Uh, otherwise, my mother would have died within a week. Even though Elaine finally got a liver transplant, that didn't mean all was good. She lived about another decade with her new liver but the effects of Hep C continue to rob her of her life. In 
Elaine Marie Salas passed away on February 8, 2020. My mom was afraid of death, even though she was almost died many times. Um, I think everyone's that way. My father was too. I talked to him the night before he died, and I talked to my mother um, the day she died. So everyone fears death when it's right at your door. Death is always devastating, but Victoria found herself thinking about how it would feel to be in Elaine's shoes towards the end of her life. the depletion of the oxygen. Now it's messing with her balance. It's messing with her, her thinking. And it got to the point at the very end where my mother really prided herself on being smart. She was smart as a whip. And in the end, she refused to take a lot of the medications that would help her with hep C because they had embarrassing side effects. My mom was a classy lady who just had been, was just done with anything that didn't meet her standards as her old self. And if it caused her dismay or shame just to be better, it wasn't worth it anymore. And she drew the line and that was it. And she wouldn't take it anymore. We fought with her about it, but she just had had it. She had to take him for so many years, over 10 years, and it just depleted her. And, and in the end, I get it. She didn't even want to go down and have, you know, dinner with her friends at the retirement home because she couldn't hold the spoon steady. And that's not what a classy lady did. So she'd rather just stay in her room and eat. And that's what I mean by quality of life, where she could be out and be amongst people because she was a very social human being that people love to be around. And um, she had really bad arthritis at the end. And we got her a really cool scooter and we like, Royce taught her to use it. Royce could get her to do anything. And he's like, Grandma, just push the button. He would give her lessons. And within a few minutes, she couldn't push the button. Not, I mean, just the button to make it move. We tried to get her to turn on the button on the toothbrush for that. We got her electric toothbrush because she forgot how to brush her teeth and she wouldn't know how to push the button to get the toothbrush to start. So it wouldn't matter. Um, that's when we, it, it just was really harsh. And that's why I'm, I'm glad in the end that she's not suffering because those things hurt my mom's feelings and spirit more than anything. So I want her to be where she can be the classy lady that she is with her orange lipstick on within fire. That's it for today. Join me on November 3rd for the fifth and final episode of A Phoenix in Phoenix.